Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? This is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, a podcast where we break down the films of Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut. And this is a Cage Club Network production. Buonasera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to, I'm ready to take my picture. Uh, that's, that's my version of Pacino from the guy. I'm ready to get my picture taken now. <laughs> oh, and Brian, uh, let's just get this out of the way. First of all, I have with me here <laughs> a bottle oh! of Francis's Pinot Noir from the Diamond Collection. So yes. maybe I'll be digging into this sooner than later. I was drinking that the other day of the episode. It was a very that's good wine. Right. Yeah, so uh, of course today we are once again talking the offer episode 8. What's the name of this one? Crossing that line. Oh yes, crossing which is that what line. The Caesar says it to to already <laughs> in uh Joe Joe Colombo's hotel room. He's like, "How oh, you don't want to cross that line." And then later <laughs> I was like, "You know what, Betty? I took a mail across that line a little while ago." <laughs> when I was watching, I'm like, "Wait, do they mention the title in every episode? Is, is, is that what's going to be like an after school special?" <laughs> and it's just constantly that picture of DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, You're just like pointing at the screen, like he said the <laughs> <Yeah>. name. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to talk about this one. A lot of fun moments here, and we're almost at the end. Yeah. It's ten episode show, so yeah. Wait. I feel like this was a pretty big episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I like your little setup. I like like what you got going. You got a little things happening already. Yeah, I have uh, The Godfather, The Coppola Restoration, which was the first Blu-ray that came out here. Nice. So, That's what I got. Francis' signature. I have Francis Coppola Diamond Collection as well, but a claret. So Ooh. 2019 Black Label Claret. 1910 type, which feels so Francis, right? Mm, there's a lot of fun Francis wine talk in these two oh episodes. Oh my god, I love it. It's great for this show. The screen caps I've been able to take too for like each episode with Francis holding wine has been amazing. Oh. And I have already decanted it, by the way, because I think this wine Smart. is properly decanted. But Mike, exactly what you said. I see Francis enjoying wine. In these episodes, and I'm like, I need to appreciate it more on the show. So, I'm gonna pour my decanted wine in my glass now. Oh, smart idea, smart idea. I think that's why I'm sort of taking my time to ease into it instead of jumping in because I'm not exactly a big drinker, but or wine guy. But for the show, I want to get into the spirit of it, you know. But uh, I'm easing in. I've got the bottle here, and uh, who knows? By the next show or two, I might be drinking along. I mean, probably by the time the offer is done and we get into the films. And everything has sort of fallen into place a little more. Uh, I'll join that party. Until then, I'll uh, pick up the slack for you, as always. I know you will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, so much I want to talk about today with this episode. When we last left off, 
Joe Colombo had just gotten shot, which was a depiction of a real event. So we kind yes. of wanted to uh, see where we would end up here, right? We don't know Joe Colombo's condition for most of the episode. But we get a lot of nuggets here of just fun stuff that, Mike, you and I have been talking about and looking forward to when it comes to this show. And that's the movie stuff. And yes, you were a prophet, Mike. You were a prophet because in our first episode, you said, is this going to be a show about Paramount Pictures? It's on Paramount+. Plus. We were getting some hints of that. And today and the next episode, we watched them back to back. Just spoiler alert there. Both really Paramount heavy stuff. Yeah. Especially today's episode. Ooh. How about the whole like Chinatown pitch and the whole like Chinatown being oh. squeezed into this Godfather show? What do you think of that? Backdoor pilot is making it. <laughs> Is the making of Chinatown, especially, you know, again, not to spoil too much, but uh, over the course of the next two episodes, sort of Evan's fall and rise and like a phoenix just coming back, you know, so there's a lot of great drama there behind the scenes besides the Godfather stuff. You know, I like that stuff. I still got a little issue with the mafia stuff this episode, but (laughs) I can't wait to talk about that. But they spent a lot of time on Chinatown over the next two episodes in order to kind of show where the heads of the studios heads are regarding, you know, uh, what they want to see, the types of movies they think they should be making, who, who thinks they know best for who and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, by the end, again, we get Evans like a superhero just showing everybody how to do it. Right. <laughs> and so there's a nice two episode kind of um, combo here, actually, that we watched. I'm actually kind of glad we watched them so close together. For sure, for sure. They felt like they fit with each other. Like, I really enjoyed episode eight. I didn't have a lot of notes because I felt like this one was less disjointed than the other episodes. Like, things were tied together. I didn't feel like I was watching three separate, or like even sometimes five separate storylines going on. Yeah, yeah. There were a couple storylines, but they were all connected. Like, let's talk about the mafia thing first, your favorite part. (laughs) Crazy Joe Gallo. So Crazy Joe Gallo and his henchmen have shot... Why am I forgetting his name? Joe Colombo. Joe Colombo, Joe Joe Gallo. Joe Joe Colombo. I keep switching them. Just say the Joker and the Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Colombo being the Penguin, right? The Joker being Gallo. Whatever here. Like I said, he was really shot there. It's just speculation that it was Gallo. The guy they got to play Joe Gallo, do you know who that is? No, I, I, I think we went over this before, but I don't remember him from stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, he's intense. He doesn't blink. He like, is. He's got a real... He looks like a psychopath. Yeah, he looks like the guy who played the young Jack Nicholson in the Batman movie, like the young Joker, when he was just like, a, he like has that crazy look in his eye. Yeah, like, oh my God. So... Last episode, we learned that Columbo has been skimming off the top of the movie. That it wasn't just like, oh, I like you, Ruddy. Like, that wasn't really his motivation. His no, motivation yeah, yeah. Was like most successful mafia people, I would assume, is to make money somehow illegally. You know, racketeering. Um, so now that he's out of the picture, the show puts it like Gallo wants to take over the money there. So I, I rem- remember I yeah. mentioned in the one, I forgot which episode, but that there's like a good fact and fiction page on whattowatch.com. Yes. So it basically said whether it was, I forgot which it was for, eight or nine, but it said that 
there's no evidence that Joe Gallo, after theoretically getting someone to shoot Columbo, that his main focus was to get profits off the Godfather movie. Uh, the timeline is a little off here, so right. probably not true, but they have to... You know what they're doing, Mike. If Columbo's out of, of the course. picture, they have to keep... Or they feel like they have to keep the mafia in somehow. So Joe Gallo, for yeah, like yeah. one episode, becomes the big bad here. And it's intense. Yeah. It's intense. So you're telling me, like, maybe the only truth of the matter here is that he was killed on his birthday? Like, that's as close to the truth we get? But I'm fine with that. Like, this kind of had to happen is what I was worried about the whole time. And it feels like this is going to tie up all the mob stuff. Like, most of the mob stuff after this is episode is pretty much put to rest. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's a pretty interesting development in the sense that for Ruddy, he's got a problem where he used to have an ally with the mafia, right? And there's like this huge big misunderstanding where they don't believe that like he's like, oh, no, there's no skim. And like, yeah, they never told him. Like he's not in on it, you know? And that was made clear previously when they're like, you know, is Ruddy getting a cut? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay, good. So as if like, you know, it made me seem like he didn't know that is what was going on about it. And <laughs> you know? So it is fun to see that dynamic for an episode, but it also just feels like a little too little too late, but good for what it is. You know, it's just, I've, you know me, I've always had a problem with the, with the real mob uh, portrayal in this whole show and stuff. So them sort of like going full, full gangster with Joe Gallo is like fine with me, you know, because we're pretty much at the end of it. For sure. I'm fine with it. I just can't believe it. Like, I don't think that, Joe Gallo, after doing that, would focus mm-hmm. all his energies on some Hollywood movie where he would actually capture someone like this, as we see Ruddy get captured <laughs> in, yeah, in yeah. this episode. Like, that was a little intense. I hear me. what you're saying. I, just, I don't get the sense that that is like his only focus, though. Like, even when he shows up at the set and he like really doesn't give a shit how movies are made, you know, you get the sense that this is just another stop along the way in his very long day of like intimidating and collecting from people and things. So to me, it didn't really feel like it was his main focus. It was just like, look, I'm going to shut down the league that Columbo put up. And as far as the movie thing, I'm just going to take over and make sure that money keeps flowing, you know, but didn't seem like that was his only responsibility. But just in general, I think this is this might be a good time to mention, even though it's not until the end of the next episode, you know, we talk a lot on this show about rewriting history and, and if the show is doing that. And they answer that question at the end of the next episode we'll where they talk there. about making movies. Oh so I just want to I just want to put that out there for people to stay tuned and listen to the next episode where we go in depth on that. We love this show. We love this show, but we can't deny that it is a show that doesn't show you, but tells you a lot about what they want you to get out of it. Which, again, gets gets literally summed up in the next episode. So we'll get there. But you're so right, Mike. (laughs) And in terms of the rewriting history, um, Gala, as you mentioned, shot at the end. Umberto's Clam House. It is a famous, famous thing in New York Mafia history that he was shot there. In real life, that was after The Godfather was released. Also, the Caesar character, the, you know, Mafia thug that we've been following, who kind of has a thing for Betty and Seems like a feeling's a little bit mutual, at least. He is a made-up character. He is someone who is an amalgamation of a lot of potential characters or potential mafia guys, right? I think the actor is doing a good job, Cannaval. But yeah, 
like in the show depicts it that he is the person who kills Joe Gallo, you know, and then it's like la di da, hunky dory, and you know what? It adds some drama because I actually think they've done a good job of making us a little bit attached to this character. So I know that's like a yeah. historical change, but that's something I'm going to say is positive. Yeah, and what else was good too is that they really tied in that skim and the amount and all of that money with the money for Sicily, bingo, which is what the bingo, which is what the main plot of this episode feels like. Is uh, are we going to go to Sicily next episode? Are we going to get the money? Like, can we do that? And all the like, you know, worry uh, by Francis around that and how it's resolved with the death of uh joe gallo is it's nice and neat in that way that the storylines you know intersected very cleanly that's like another thing again i love this episode but the sicily thing to me was so unbelievable that they're putting all this their eggs in this godfather basket they've set everything up in new york (laughs) they're wrapping up in new york and they had no idea where they were filming the next couple scenes oh dude Oh, they had no idea about that. Al Ruddy's like, hey, you ever play the stock market? And for two minutes, he turns into a fucking Jordan Belfort. <laughs> and he's like, it's all about futures. And hey, we'll go into the company and they'll bet on our next movie and this and they'll give us a discount and it'll just happen to be enough for us to go to Italy. I was almost wishing that Margot Robbie was in a hot tub explaining it to me, like in the big show oh, or something. <laughs> you know? That would have been perfect. But, like, <laughs> but that's what I love about the show. That and like the idea that Joe Gallo was shot at the same time they were filming the scene <laughs> where Don Corleone gets shot in the street, and the, you know it didn't it didn't happen. But it's fun the, the way the the show is camping it up in that direction. All right, because it's just fun that way. You know, I don't want it to be linear if it can be more entertaining like this. Yeah, no, I mean at this point, let's not go for a hundred percent accuracy here. Here, let's keep the flow of the show going. You know. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, you know, we've talked a lot about how how crazy this show is and like how it doesn't feel like the way shit went down. And I'm just glad that they never course corrected in a way where they were like, okay, maybe this isn't working. Let's get more specific as far as how it really went down. You know, it just feels like, no, they they were in it from the beginning to say, like, we're going to stretch and change things and do what it takes to make it more of a fun watch an entertaining story as confirmed literally in the next episode so we will get there um, <laughs> one of the things with the sicily interaction from my research that it's seen or i shouldn't say interaction the setup of sicily i believe this occurred in pre-production which would make sense right like it was like can yeah, can yeah. we afford to go to sicily let's pull some strings let's do this and i don't think they location scouted the same time as they shot you know, but the show indicates that we'll talk about Sicily more in the next episode. This is really like a building episode, but it was yeah, yeah. so fun. It was so fun. And let's talk about our guy, Francis Ford Coppola, in this episode. Totally. Dan Fogler is still doing an amazing job. And his insistence on having Sicily is so beautiful and so pure. At this point, you know it has to be done. But you mentioned it, Mike. Ruddy is like, I owe money to the mafia, which seems to be the same exact amount that he needs for Sicily for whatever reason. <laughs> After he's like taught us about futures and making deals with people, he gets that money. He wants to throw it all away. What I don't understand is, and I seem very critical today, so I apologize, but I don't understand this. Everyone is telling him, no, 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 pay off the mafia. Like, I'm like, what? You know, because the whole time it's like, 
Everyone's been like, no, 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 do what Francis wants. It's his vision. So th- it's a little weird here. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's only really Betty, right, that knows about that he has to pay the mob. Uh, really, it's Caesar. Right? And, Caesar mentions it too, like you should pay him. I, I mean, yeah, well, that Caesar's gonna say that, right? It's just like handle business as usual, but he knows that he's gonna kill this guy before he needs sure, to pay yeah. him, or he just can't tell him. But I mean, no one knows like about the mafia trouble that Al's still going through. So, you know, it would be nice if he did confide in Francis and say, look, here, you know, here's the reason we, we can't go to Sicily is because like my mob connection is in the hospital and the new guy is up my ass, you know, like he wants the money. It's that or my life, basically. Like, what would you rather do? You know, so like I wish there was more scenes like that, but we get a scene early on with Betty where she like recaps their entire sort of escapade so far. She's like, look, like we've been shot at, like we've been kidnapped, like we've been chased. Like first he was our enemy, then he was our friend. Now we got this new guy. He's like, you just got to keep doing what you're doing and trusting what you're doing kind of stuff. So like Betty is, yeah, Betty is sort of like an antagonist and like, you know, she doesn't want the mob on his back or him to worry about the mob either. And oh, it feels like they could find another way to, to shoot Sicily. But ultimately, you know, it's one or the other. I, I like the tension, though, in this episode because we've never had a, like, because I, I, I don't believe, like, Charlie and 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 Freddie and those guys in the, in the suits and stuff. And we'll get to Evans this episode. But, like, those guys are always sort of like paper tigers because they want the movie made no matter how much they're kicking and screaming. But this is like, you know, we're finally getting like an evil mob villain guy, albeit for one episode, but it, but it's <laughs> threatening. It's working. It, it's good. You know, I think it works well. So I, I know I, I complained about it came a little too late in the show, but I don't know. It, it's I've got complex feelings about, about, <laughs> about the real life mob in this. <laughs> Wanted to bring up too when it talk, when it comes to Francis and the wine. We mentioned it earlier, but I, I I pulled like the scene is coming back to me when he's just like, you know, Napa Valley compares with the best vineyards in France, and he's talking about the wine. Yeah, he's so passionate, and he just wants to get this movie made. And the show has set up the players so well that like when Gordon Willis and uh, I forgot the editor's name, but a couple when a couple other people are just walking by and giving one line now. I'm, like, laughing or really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, and then again, they, think about how many characters that they've had cool backgrounds for. And that's something I, we've criticized a little bit of the writing of the show, but I do want to applaud that they've made most every character important here. They dropped the ball a little bit with, what's her name, Francois, and maybe one or two other people. But other than that, I think, oh yeah, like, that was way early. Yeah, yeah. When someone comes on the screen, I know who they are. I know what their character's motivation is. I'm excited to see what they're going to do next, and that's that's a big deal for a show that's only had eight episodes at this point with that many characters. Yeah, I think it helps that we are familiar with a with a bunch of them, like the True. actors, True. for instance, and that they're doing such a great job portraying them and not lingering on them you know too much like they i feel like they they interact with the uh with the production characters and the actors interact the perfect amount of time in this show you know this has the rap party in it right the yeah like yeah. they're 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 having a little like when betty and brando meet 
or have their little like that was, conversation. That was weird. You thought that was weird? Like, see, that to me was like, oh, this is even if that didn't happen, I think the show did a good job of showing like kind of the camaraderie maybe of the of the actors and the production, but without sort of focusing on it. You know what I mean? Like I think we get a nice we get a nice thing here too with with the guy who plays Carlo and oh, when he yeah. hits Talia. And then the I have a whole separate thing for that. That's just a, another example though of of sort of like the cast acting as family and feeling it without them being in the forefront of this show whatsoever. You know, like the most we get is Pacino and like even he's really not, you know, very much in the forefront of the show. No, no. And I meant weird, not in a sense that I didn't believe it would happen or didn't fit in the show. I meant weird because like Marlon Brando is a weird guy. He's like, DiSorono and whiskey. Right? Yes, okay, I got you. DiSorono and scotch. Or he made up his own drink. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what do you... <laughs> She's like, what do you call that? And he might as well call it, I call it the Brando. Um. <laughs> um, Betty has a very interesting arc in the next two episodes that I actually uh, rather enjoy. Before we get into Rap Party, Mike, you mentioned the whole Carlo thing. We learned earlier that Betty had previously dated the actor who worked Carlo, and he's a real scumbag, as depicted. <laughs> At least as depicted. Yeah, in the I show. know. He's like hitting on every woman he sees. He's an asshole to Betty. A big part of this episode is an urban legend that is somewhat true, but not confirmed. I've never heard that he actually slapped Talia Shire in The Godfather. Okay. I've never heard that. Have you heard that? When it happened on screen, it rang a bell. Like I, I pretty much remember hearing something like that. Uh, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. But I remember hearing that, like, you know, things got very method on that set. So, yeah, she has never, she has never admitted that, but she probably wouldn't want to admit that either with her, her brother directing the movie. You know what I mean? He, she's probably not going to want to admit that he didn't have control like that. I'm so glad we got to see Talia Shire, or obviously someone play Talia Shire. I was editing an older episode, and I, I actually said, I'm like, oh, I hope we get to meet Talia Shire, because the dynamics of that, being Frances's sister, being one of the leads of the movie, it's her wedding at the beginning, you know, it's a big deal. And we don't see the slap, thank God, but we see her walk away, and Betty kind of run after her, and I thought this whole scene and this dynamic was awesome. I don't know if they handled it right for 2022, but they, you know, because he should have probably been fired right away in 2022. But for oh, yeah, yeah. for the 70s, probably more accurate. And he got his comeuppance in the show. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. in regards to Betty, uh, it really shows how, one, how important she was on this set. That, like, she probably, in hindsight, should have gotten a producer credit. And two, how important it is to have a woman producer there. Yeah. I mentioned that I was reading that Mad Max book. Um, God, now I can't remember the name. But regardless, uh, Tom Hardy and Charlize were having a lot of issues on Fury Road, and she kind of demanded that a woman producer be brought in, and it really made her life better to have that kind of presence on the set. So, like, Betty in this scene and in this moment is invaluable, and we know Betty's based on a real character, and I'm sure she was that invaluable on set. When she talks to Talia, she mentions it. First of all, she has intimate knowledge of the dude who did it, so she knows he's a scumbag. Like, it's no question about it. But when she mentions it to Ruddy, in the show, they hatch up a plan. We get some really good James Caan in this, like, 
what do you think of that actor who played James Caan and his performance? Yeah, yeah, I I liked it. Like I like this whole sort of dealing with it this way interaction. You're right. Like this guy though, who played Carlo, would have been fired at the fitting. You know the way he's mm-hmm. talking to the wardrobe lady and all that kind of stuff. And she even warns him. You know, you can't pull that shit on set. <laughs> Betty tells him, you know, act. You know, like get your shit together. So I really love that he uh, that Al sort of you know, pulls James Conn aside and it was like, look, like, you know, pss, pss, pss. <laughs> like, don't pull any punches. Like, we're going to do this for real. The show's been doing this thing and they'll do it again, I think this episode and again next episode where like, it's a lot of reaction shots. So I didn't know if they were concerned mm. about recreating the scene where James Conn beats the shit out of Carlo uh, because we don't see it, but I love that we watched like Coppola watching the scene happen. Oh, I like it better. Realizing, real, yeah, realizing what's actually going on and then kind of reveling in it, being like, all right, good, this guy's beating the shit out of the guy who hit my sister for me. <laughs> like this, you know, um, like he's taking care of it. Like this will be nice and uh, we can move on after this. And we'll get great, we'll get a great take. I think it's so cool, first of all, that uh, Talia Shire, at least depicted here, is like, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, that's my brother. I'm not going to ruin his movie, sort of. Those weren't her lines, you know what I mean? Because think about it. If you're Francis, too, you probably fire him right away. That's why I don't know if this happened or not. He's got, like, one more scene to go. Do you reshoot? You can't reshoot the whole movie in back then. Maybe, maybe. That's the case. You're kind of stuck with him, yeah. No one knows if this is true or not. But James Conn really did kick this guy's ass. (laughs) Well, I'm sure he had it coming in other directions as well prior to whatever he did to Talia, if he did anything. You know, this guy just seems like someone who's asking for it. <laughs> so uh, a couple things on the guy. So James Conner said, no, I didn't really kick his ass. It's choreographed. But the guy said, yeah, he really did kick my ass. And he only, he's indicated two things about this. First, he said that, yes, it was method, like he mentions in here. The, the, the fight was choreographed. He really improvised there, and he didn't mind it. And he's also said that they didn't get along that, James Conn apparently offended some mafia guys in a bar. He tried to tell him not to do it, and James Conn didn't like him for, for saying whatever. You know, this is just hearsay, and that he t- decided to take it out on him on set. And, but he doesn't seem to have any regrets. When I was, like, I don't want to say a kid, but maybe in college, maybe in high school, I went to the San Gennaro Feast uh, in Little Italy with my family, and this guy was, like, the guest of honor that day, the actor who played Carlo. And, you know, they were treating him like a king down there. And I'm like, I hope he wasn't as big of a scumbag as they depict here because, I don't know, <laughs> you don't want scumbags maybe. like that to get the glory, but who knows? Yeah, maybe getting your ass kicked by Jimmy Kahn reforms you. True. Makes you think twice. I mean, although in the show it's not depicted that way either, you know, he's like, he's like, hey, I got my ass kicked by James Kahn. <laughs> All right. And then Betty, like, punches him in the stomach and it was like, you know. Learn your fucking lesson. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a great sequence, and sometimes this show has silly parallels to the movie. Like, for example, earlier in the episode, the uh, Ferrigno character, Luca Brasi actor, and Caesar are talking with Ruddy, and they're like, don't worry about it. This this thing happens every ten years or so, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's literally yeah, a yeah, line yeah. from the movie, but we already know the movie is being shot in chronological order. That's what I, I mean. So that's, what? That's, that's always been my problem with the mob stuff is that it's the show saying like 
yeah, like the Godfather is just like what was, you know, it's more realistic than you thought because like just change the names to protect the innocent and you, you know, you got the Godfather and it's like, I don't know. It kind of feels like bullshit. <laughs> like that's why I think they're lining, they're lining up events and they're shifting facts and they're moving things around. And it's like, you know, Ruddy and Joe Colombo becoming, you know, best friends. Like that shit is crazy, but like, you know, they did it. What could you do? <laughs> and that's why Mike, with the scene of uh, Jimmy Khan beating up, uh, the Carlo actor, I don't know what to believe because I feel like that's them telling us, no, 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 no. mafia justice is going to solve this, right? Which is a big, theme, <laughs> which is a big theme of the Godfather. Bob right? rule, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. you got to handle some things internally, and sometimes it's with force. That's a whole nother part of the episode. That's the fucking title of the episode is crossing that line, you know, and that's Ruddy turning his production style into that of a dawn of the mob, you know? And he's like, yeah, like last episode, they don't want to shoot in this restaurant. Hey, uh, Caesar, throw this guy in a closet and make sure he doesn't say anything until we're done. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's something like a mob guy would do. And then this episode, you know, it's like, don't call like the, uh, you know, A&R guy or whatever it is, the HR guy. Sorry, I don't work in an office, but like, <laughs> don't call the HR guy and like complain about this actor. It's like, let's beat the shit out of him on camera and humiliate him for the rest of his life. <laughs> like, you know? Because do you realize this parallel as we talk about it? So in The Godfather, now I know a lot of other things happen and it's a setup, but in The Godfather, someone beats one of the characters' sisters, Carlo, right? Yeah, yeah. And James Caan beats Carlo up. In the show, someone beats Francis Ford Coppola's sister, just hits, hits her, whatever, who's the actor who's playing Carlo, and she's the actor who's playing uh, Connie, and Jimmy Caan beats Carlo up. It's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, I, don't, I kind of find that a lot of fun if it was, like, one of the only times they did it, you know? And, like, that at least has to do with people in the production of the movie. And it's fun if, like, the production parallels the actual film itself because that's quite common. You end up sometimes making a movie about what you're going through. Life imitates art. Movie. Art imitates life. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. What My issue isn't that. My issue is that they're saying, like, basically the Godfather, whether Mario Puzo knew it or not, is based on all this true shit that happened, you know, except the name. there's no wedding. And the names were changed. But, like, Joe Gallo shot Joe Colombo, which is the Turk shooting the Don. Okay? And, like, the parallels don't stop there. And it has just been kind of rough along the way. I wish they didn't treat the mob that way. I wish they just left that stuff more accurate, I suppose. You know, I didn't need that to line up so well, you know? I didn't need the scene in this movie where... Joe Gallo gets shot while they're filming Don Corleone getting shot. Like, (laughs) fucking get it. I get it. (laughs) I think you're right about that, Mike, because I, again, like the episode and like the show, and I think that it works. But if you're going to nitpick stuff that doesn't work, it's not just the mafia doing it, as you're saying. It's not just the mirrored depictions it's the fact that they're literally taking lines from the script and saying them out loud <laughs> after the shots have been filmed 
in the movie. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. The show is a shit show in a good way, and I love it, and I can't stop watching it. The fact that we're recording episodes has stopped me from binging it, which is probably a good thing, mm-hmm. but I, I could have just binged this show back to back to back to back to back, you know? It's addicting. I mean, I think you said it, Bobby. Like, the fact <laughs> that it's kind of bad is what makes it so great. Or, like, not that it's bad, but just that, you know, it's not prestige like okay so like another show i've been watching lately a lot of is narcos have you have you seen narcos yeah yeah it's it's, yeah it's a really great show i'm on the middle of season two right now and it's like you know they even have a disclaimer basically a paragraph comes up and is like this isn't exactly the way this shit happened but like it's as fucking close as we could get it and then we fill in the blanks the best way possible to make like an entertaining show like that's kind of like the little crawl that comes up before and that show does a really good job of creating you know stuff that probably never happened in order to to make a point about something that is happening in a greater way or, you know, or like a parallel in another way. And of course they depict real events incredibly well also. And that I would consider serious, prestigious. Like there's not a lot of comedy in that show whatsoever. And all of it comes from unintentional stuff. I would say this is sort of the same method, but a completely different tone where it's like, we're telling the story as close as we can remember it, and we're filling in the blanks as best as possible, you know? And sure, we're going to shift shit around to make it a better show than real life, because real life, this, you know, this must have been super depressing for a lot of it, you know, <laughs> making this movie. I don't want to see a bunch of people just, like, in a depression. I want to see them running around trying to solve problems. Yeah, I think you uh, make a great point, though, with your Narcos comparison, even though the tones are different. This feels more in line with that. So this is not a bad show by any means. It's a really fun, entertaining show. But they put entertainment before prestige is the word we keep using, right? Like, it's less HBO and more Netflix. And with Paramount Plus being relatively new, at least with producing this kind of stuff, it feels like, to me, that's the direction they're going more. Like, entertainment rather than let's win a shit ton of Emmys. I hope this show gets nominated for stuff, but... It wouldn't shock me if it's shut out either, right? It, it, this show is just about fun. Well, that's too, it's about the magic of movie making, and magic is spectacle and wonder. It's not, I mean, unless you're into dark magic, it's not dark and, and <laughs> depressing. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the movies. It's like Evan says. It's like the fucking movies, man. It's magic. Like, you can't live without it. Like, it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be fun. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like the movie... Since the uh, the show since the show is about the spirit of making movies, it's gonna try and convey that spirit throughout as best as possible, and like that makes it more of a fun show than a serious show, and that's totally cool. I also think, as you know, you you and I kind of talk this out. I think that this show it clearly doesn't have the mass appeal in terms of it. It doesn't seem like it was that popular. It's not permeate, permeating the culture like. A lot of other shows. Yeah, do. you know, it's it, it's interesting you say that because the people that I've talked to that are into the show have had or are in sort of the industry or have had sort of background trying to break into the industry or like I know them from school doing film stuff and things like that. You know, like a, a friend from work, Dan Cologne, is really liking the show, you know, and I know uh, I met him in films in film class. So, you know, and he you know, his job has somewhat something to do with like a major network. And so he's so very interested in behind the scenes of that kind of stuff. So 
I wonder as well, like, what the demographic is. Well, I was going to kind of say that it's a weird demographic of two sides of what you would kind of go for with things. Like, I think film nerds will really like the show for what you're saying, Mike. But I also think people like my mom would really like this show. I think it does have more of a mass appeal than you would think. And maybe it's because it's not... You don't have to be in the know to watch this show. It gives you kind of in-your-face things. Like, I think someone who's just a fan of The Godfather would be like, hell, yeah, you know, uh... Dude, yeah. That's a line from the movie. That's awesome. Again, I keep doing the <laughs> DiCaprio thing in my head, like the pointing, oh, you know what I mean? And this is, again, this is not the mayor of Easttown. <laughs> this is, this is something that's for mass consumption, but also for film nerds. It's, a, it's weird in that way. I happen to enjoy it on both sides. I don't know how I haven't thought of this. We're at like episode eight now, and I haven't I haven't thought of this comparison, but like I'll get to it in a second. But like I, I think another draw now that if, if someone asked me why they should watch the show, a recommendation, I say it's a great period piece. This captures mm. the era extremely well. Like I love it. I love the way it's all depicted and the lifestyles that everybody's living, and when. You know, obviously Evans going out and partying. And that also leads me into, like, if you're not so much even into how The Godfather was made, if you really don't give a shit about that movie, this feels almost like a lighter Mad Men at times. I don't know if if you've watched Mad Men, but, I mean, that's about the ad industry, and it's about people drinking themselves to death uh, for the most (laughs) part. But this with, like, with, uh, with Evans... And and uh, Bluthorn and all that kind of shit going on like that feels very Mad Men, but it's just up up a level. It's like Looney Tunes Mad Men. Yeah, but it's still I would say like if you're interested in what corporations have to do with making entertainment like this is a interesting peek behind that window that I'd never even sort of like conceived of before. Mike, and you hit the nail on the head there. They have just done a great job of world building with this show. It feels real yeah. in that sense, and I know at times it seems like we're criticizing the show, but if there's one thing that they maybe do best in, in the entire production of the offer, it's the world that they've built. I don't have any issues being transported every week when I watch this show, and I mentioned it with the characters, but it's also the set design, it's also just the whole feel of how things are, and I feel like I'm there, so... Bravo on that front. Yeah, yeah. We've brought up Evans a couple times here. Let's just go over the Evans stuff quick. I think we're going to talk more about it sure. in the next episode, but he he is still yep. not in a good place here. And I wanted to look this up, let's, too. Let's just say he's on a bender. He's on a bender. He's on the bender of all benders, baby. Listen, baby, I'm on a bender, Bubby. All right, leave me alone. And I wanted to look this up to see if it was accurate. And unfortunately... It's another timeline thing. Ali McGraw, as we saw in the previous episode, cheats on him with Steve McQueen. But he actually doesn't find out about that till after the release of The Godfather, where he actually did go on a similar bender like this. Now, this show depicts Al Ruddy as the hero in all things, because this is... Of course, because he is. God, in... Every man. In this episode, though, he's, like, saving everyone from being, like, a drunk, right? Like, it's not just Evans who we'll talk about, but, like, at certain points, he's like, whoa, Betty, cool it down, you know? Like, good guy, good guy Ruddy here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I know, like, he doesn't have enough on his mind. It's like, I, that just shows, like, maybe he should chill out. Like, he, I didn't, but that's the other thing, too. It's a little out of character. Maybe it's just because he's super paranoid because he got, like, an ice bucket cracked against his skull <laughs> in, in earlier in the episode. So, like, he's super paranoid, and especially at that rap party, because, like, in a couple hours, he's going to have to, like, hand over that money. So, yeah, he's walking around sort of, like, making sure nobody's getting too out of control. And Betty, but Betty is, like, making fun of Hanks, calling him instead of Lapidus, like Lapinus and all this stuff. And so like people are kind of like getting a little out of hand at this party. Oh, for sure. For sure. And maybe that did happen to some extent, but it just, it's funny again, again and again, that Ruddy is just like, good guy, Ruddy. When Caesar gives Betty like the Rolex yeah, and is like, you can wear, tell her to wear anywhere but Florida, Miami. She can't wear it in Florida. And Al's like, doesn't he say, he's like, you know you can't keep that. She's like, she's like, yeah, no shit. Like, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Good morals, Ruddy. Um, but Evans, in real life, apparently he was present the entire time. He was a big supporter of the film. Was he on a lot of coke? Every depiction says absolutely he was. Did it get in the way sometimes? Yeah. Absolutely. Did he have claimed back issues? Yes. Apparently that's true too. But next episode depicts more of his hiatus. That is not exactly accurate, especially the McGraw things, because he found that out right after the premiere of The Godfather. Still, one of these things that we love this Evans character, and I'm excited and glad where it goes especially like yeah. the conclusion so yeah, we'll talk about it more next time yeah i think this was a smart way to portray evans's life in parallel to the movie like this actually works because none of this shit in evans life happens in the godfather so you're not <laughs> you're not referencing it's all new material you know so that's why i think it works so well to move it up to ch- time shift it or whatever because it couldn't happen at a worse time. Everyone in this episode is like, where the fuck is he? Where the fuck is he? And, you know, we don't we don't want Colin Hanks sitting in that chair, you know? Like, that's the worst. Like, he's the fucking worst. Like, he is, he is the worst. And so it was a good thing to do to the to, – even if it didn't happen in real life, it works for the character in the show, in the moment, in the arc that this character is going through, okay? Because he needs to kind of crash and burn at some point, and – it's better to have a reason than just have him be in New York partying up too much and, and like going out of control with women. You know what I'm saying? Like it's better to sort of move in that the marital issues and the private issues, because it becomes a lot about that, about Mm -hmm. like balancing your, your life with your work. And like, you know, how do you balance life and work? Uh, Tell me, Uh, you know, number one question uh, of all interviewers. So I'm glad we got to see some of that. And also we needed more, tension between him and everybody else because like we love him we love him too much like we love this fucking party producing golden boy so i needed him to like start screaming at ruddy at the end of this and throw a drink at him and like is he gonna pass out or have a heart attack but also be like you know i'm a i'm a golden god like i am the movies i'm fucking robert evans like i needed a moment where i was like dude like you need to chill like i don't like you right now like this is a bad scene get your shit together so i'm glad that that moment came up now because uh we can sort of like talk about next episode how he comes back from a lot of that. And we've we've seen this moment coming now for like an episode or two. Even before Ali, he was 
going a little nuts with how well things were going. And so, yeah, I, I you know, things were very tense and stuff. So yeah, I think, I think it's playing out really well. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, just one more thing on the episode. We'll talk a lot more about Lapidus, which is the Colin Hanks character in the next episode. So Mike, make sure I mention what I'm about to say. There was no Lapidus in real life. This is not, <laughs> this is not a real character. I found that out today. I was a little disappointed. So uh, Betty, as you mentioned, calls him Lapinus. I wonder if they just made his last name Lapidus so that Betty could say Lapidus. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Definitely. You you know what I mean. that, he, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, it, it means stone. Oh, okay, yeah. Like you're stoned? Is that what you said? Oh, like, no, he's just there. I think he's there to, to portray the entire company. Yes. And just be like, 100%. this was this was their attitude the whole time, and they needed a, a body to represent that. And I think he does it perfectly. Like, I fucking hate that character, and that's an amazing acting job. You know? Like, you're, you're supposed to hate his guts, and you do. And that's a great character. 100%, Mike. <laughs> Man, next episode. Oh, next episode. <laughs> this episode... If you didn't like episode 8, it's because you didn't watch it with episode 9. Episode 8 is just the setup for episode 9. So See, see, dude, again, I'm not saying they could be one episode, but that is something we've been saying throughout. Like, are oh, episodes yeah. too long? Can they be shorter? Can you blend them? Like, this episode, there's nothing in the book that says they all have to be 55 minutes. Okay? Like, make this one 30 minutes. If that's all you really have to say, don't overstay your welcome. Okay, because that's how it's starting to feel. Not starting, though. That's how the show feels sometimes. The, the show feels like I want it to get in and out, and instead it's coming in, it's having some pasta, it's having a, a it's got a little cannoli, a little glass of wine, and then it's out. <laughs> and it's like, no, you got to get in, you got to get in and out of this a little quicker sometimes. And just you know, when you need to spend time, spend time. Have an hour and six minute episode. That's fine, but also have like a 35-minute episode if you want it. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Mike, one thing I want to ask you about, have you noticed they have like sort of commercial breaks built in at certain times? Like they'll do like a fade out and a fade in? Oh, of in. course. It's just interesting. Of course. <laughs> Was this not originally intended for Paramount Plus, even though it's like about Paramount? I'm very curious. No, well, this is this is a whole streaming issue altogether now is because like the Netflix shows have no commercials, so there's no act breaks necessarily. I mean, there are, but they're, they're more well sort of hidden or yeah. camouflaged and they're just, you don't notice it cause you're not cutting a commercial. Something like Paramount plus, And now I believe like product for Hulu with their upper tier where, uh, you know, you don't have to pay for some stuff, but you do have to pay for other stuff. You need to pay with commercials, stuff with streaming services with commercials. Now I feel like they're going backwards where now shows are having these like, act breaks again it's just really strange because like you're right we're on a streaming network i don't care if it just cuts in with a commercial but don't like fade out to black like i'm watching channel seven <laughs> yeah, like it just it's, it's killing the illusion a little too much <laughs> it's so weird it's so weird but mike alas we have to take a bit of a break we have to end our episode so that all of our episodes don't go for an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> but that's not the reason but honestly i think we've uh talked this one enough i'm eager to talk episode nine but for episode eight anything else you wanted to say no i think i think i'm good i think i mentioned everything necessary uh that i took notes for yeah i continue to like this show oh i i mean i think we saw more on set stuff 
which was fun. So like we didn't just see the the Carlo beating, but like we did see them set up for the Don getting shot and other. So it's fun. It's always fun to see those famous scenes going on. And yeah, look forward to the next episode. Yeah, really. Episode nine is a interesting one, a fun one. So definitely stay tuned here. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. What else? Stitcher. I always forget Stitcher. Please, please tell a friend about Uncle Francis's wine cellar. Have a glass of wine with a friend and listen together. That that's a great there way. You go. That's a great way to get into this show. Um, watch the offer. Let us know what you think on social media. Uh, we have an Instagram page for the show, which is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Easy to find there. I have a personal Twitter. Oh my Rodriguez, Mike. What are your tags again? Yes, I have a Twitter at at the underscore Mikester. Follow Mike there. You can interact with Mike there if you'd like. Of course, I have another show called High School Slumber Party, which Mike is on most of the time these days anyway. So check that out as well. And Mike, you have a ton of other shows. Oh, I got a lot of other shows, but uh, I got to talk about this show. Um, At the time of this recording, uh, the newest episode of a show that I'm on is called Hanks for the Memories. It's a Tom Hanks podcast. And Joey and I, Joey Lewandowski and I, we went to see Boz Lerman's Elvis starring Tom Hanks as none other than the Colonel Tom Parker, who, <laughs> who, who, who found Elvis and nurtured him and, and took him under his wing and made him into the star that he was today. So definitely see that movie mind-blowing movie uh we also released that over on our elvis feed because joey and i do an elvis movie podcast where we're watching all the elvis movies called viva pod vegas so uh double dose of that episode on both feeds you can find that at cageclub.me awesome yeah i'm looking for that, that and that by the way brian i had that that was my colonel tom parker impression a la tom hanks it is dead on really so if i do say so my if i do say so myself he is he talks a lot like this and he wants elvis to know that he's his boy and we will snow the rooms and get all their money i thought you were doing mickey rooney from breakfast at tiffany's i was confused oh no 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 i would never in a million years attempt <laughs> that impression wow i haven't seen the movie yet i haven't listened to the episode yet because of that Looking forward to it. Well, I mean, I do. I, I I bust out all the impressions on this show for some reason. I tried to do it over on the Hanks episode. It didn't quite come out. But you've been right, working on but, it. You've been uh, working on it. And I love I've it. been working on it. Yeah, I've been driving Robin crazy. <laughs> well, Mike, as always, this is a pleasure. We end this a certain way. We're doing it now. So. <laughs> Leave the guns. Take, take the, the cannolis. cannolis. I just want to do it together with you. <laughs> take the. T- on three. One, two, three. Take take the cannoli. The cannolis. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks, guys. Whatever. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend. The end. Oh, Yeah.